Hi there, and welcome to the next episode of How Good It Is, a weekly podcast that takes a closer look at songs from the rock and roll era, and we check out some of the stories behind those songs and the artists who made them famous. My name is Claude Cole, and I am getting very close to retiring the computer that helped me start this whole adventure. That makes me a little bit sad. Hey, don't forget to check out the website, howgooditis.com, and the Twitter and the Instagram, and of course the Facebook page, which you can find over at facebook.com slash how good it is, Bob. I have not mentioned Podcast Republic in great deal in some time, so I think it's time I write it that wrong. Podcast Republic is an app that allows you to download and listen to podcasts. I have been using it since before I even had a pod, before I even thought about having a podcast. And recently I discovered that there are more reviews for this here show on Podcast Republic than on any other podcast platform. Thank goodness most of them are positive, so certainly I'm visible over there. Podcast Republic has some great features that you will not find anywhere else. And if you do find them somewhere else, perchance, well, it's because Podcast Republic got there first. And the other guys are all, oh, why didn't we think of that? You can find a link to Podcast Republic on the How Good It Is website, or you can look for it in the Google Play Store. Oh, have I got a cool trivia question for ye today. Have a listen to this. It's the bridge from Ringo Starr's cover of Your 16. You're beautiful and you're mine. So here's the question. Who's playing the kazoo on this track? Okay, no fair cheating and looking at the liner notes on the album because it is mentioned there. Who's playing the kazoo on your 16? I will have the answer for you near the end of the program. So some people who are listening to this show were around in the summer of 1969 and remember what a wild year it was overall. And of course, some people weren't born yet, so they can't really wrap their heads around all the events that took place that year and how it affected the nation as a whole. And let me paint a picture for you with regard to specifically the summer of 1969. I was a small child and I still have some memory of all of these things, despite only being six years old at the time. Okay, so July 18th, 1969, Senator Ted Kennedy accidentally drove his car off a one-lane bridge in Chappaquiddick, Massachusetts, which resulted in the death of his passenger, Mary Jo Kopechny. A few days later, he got to make this speech on local television. Although my doctors informed me that I suffered a cerebral concussion as well as shock, I do not seek to escape responsibility for my actions by placing the blame either on the physical and emotional trauma brought on by the accident or on anyone else. I regard as indefensible the fact that I did not report the accident to the police immediately. Instead of looking directly for a telephone after lying exhausted in the grass for an undetermined time, I walked back to the cottage where the party was being held and requested the help of two friends my cousin Joseph Gargan and Paul Markham, and directed them to return immediately to the scene with me. Earlier in that speech, he announced that he'd also pleaded guilty that day to leaving the scene of an accident. Then, on July 20th, we had this. Take one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. That's right. Human beings walked on the moon for the first time ever. Ever. Okay, and then... Look out! 
Just a couple weeks later, on August 9th and 10th, Charles Manson and his so-called family killed seven people, including a pregnant movie star and a teenage boy. And of course, Manson had said that it was the Beatles' White Album that was giving him the clues and the directions to commit these acts. weekend of August 15th through the 18th, half a million people got together on a farm in upstate New York for the Woodstock Festival. And during this entire time, the number one song in America was this. In the year 2525 is probably the first thing many people point to when they think of the phrase one hit wonder, and they're not totally wrong about that. Denny Zager and Rick Evans were students at Nebraska Wesleyan University when they met in 1962. They wrote in the year 2525 in 1964, or or more accurately, Rick Evans wrote it. Uh, But it didn't get recorded or released until four years later. The song was recorded in a single take in a studio in Odessa, Texas, with the assistance of the Odessa Symphony providing that mariachi-like horn and the tense string section. The song was released on a small label called Truth Records, and it was a local hit in Nebraska, especially in Omaha and Lincoln. And that would be the end of the story, except that local airplay did catch the attention of RCA Records, which offered them a contract. The record was re-released on RCA in the late spring of 1969, and it went to the top of the Billboard Hot 100 the week of July 12th, and it stayed there for the rest of the summer, six weeks altogether in the top slot. So what was it about this song that captured the public's imagination? Was it the confluence of the future themes and the moonshot? Yeah, maybe. And maybe it's the uncertainty about the future that the song carries. Remember, this was only a few months after the release of films like 2001 A Space Odyssey, Barbarella, and Planet of the Apes. And let's face it, none of those films had especially positive messages, or anyway, explicitly positive messages. The other possibility is that people thought it was some kind of a joke, given that the lyrics are a little bit silly, with lines like, your legs got nothing to do, some machines doing that for you. There's also suggestions of the second coming and general depletion of the Earth's resources. Ultimately, it becomes kind of a Rorschach test for the listener. Are these guys seriously paranoid or are they goofing with us? Well, it's in the ear of the beholder. But here's the thing. There's really nothing in this track that suggests they're goofing. They play it absolutely straight, and the song even has a subtitle that you probably don't know about unless you look at the record label. The subtitle is Exordium and Terminus, which are not Latin words, although they come from Latin. But they mean beginning and end, which, along with the lyrics near the song's ending, suggests that there's a cycle going on here, what with God coming along and hitting the reset button every 10,000 years or so. But you've also got the suggestion that he's done here on Earth, and he's starting over somewhere else, where the same storyline is going to take place. Plus, the song does these two upward changes in key, which makes the song's overall message just a little bit more strident. But for all that, there's still a generally optimistic feeling to the whole thing, and so there's both the awe of technology combined with the warning not to take it for granted. And as for Zager and Evans, well, this all led to mm, pretty much nothing. Despite the song's success, their follow-up single titled Mr. Turnkey didn't chart anywhere with good reason. It's 10 p.m. Wichita Falls, August 16, 1969. 
so far as I know, Zager and Evans is the only act to have a song that topped the charts on both sides of the Atlantic, but did not have another song chart in either Billboard's charts or in the UK. Now, to be fair, Mr. Turnkey did make it to number 86 in Australia. They did have a third single titled Listen to the People, which reached number 100 on the Cashbox chart, and that was really about it. Nowadays, Denny Zager is still in Lon- uh, London, geez, he's still in Lincoln, Nebraska, and he makes custom guitars. Rick Evans parted around the music industry for a little while, but he has largely retired from public life. There are numerous reports that he did an online interview about the song in 2013, but unfortunately I've been able to fi- unable to find it. I think that page is just gone now. As far as the song itself, well, it's been covered dozens of times and in several different languages, and of course I've got a couple of fun versions to share with you right here. In the show Futurama, there's a sequence where the characters are moving forward in time to find a period where the backwards time machine exists, and their exploits are described in the parody song in the year 2525 in all the world, there's only one technology A rusty sword for practicing proctology In a future year that ends with a 20 And yes, I will link to that video clip at the website. And then back in the year 2000, a short-lived uh, science fiction TV series called Cleopatra 2525 aired for 28 episodes. The basic plot of the series, I swear to God this is true was that an exotic dancer named Cleo experiences complications during breast augmentation surgery, and naturally she is put into suspended animation, as we did in 2000. She wakes up 525 years in the future, and she joins up with two other women who are fighting these armed fighting machines that control the surface of the Earth. Humanity has moved underground, and Cleo manages to impress everyone with her philosophical sayings, most of which derive from 20th century pop culture. It's both cheesy and cheesecake and it's a whole lot of girls kick butt can't be fun and of course they redid the song for the show's theme By the way, it's not immediately obvious to me, so it may not be immediately obvious to you, but the person singing that was one of the female stars of the show. You can find episodes of Cleopatra 2525 on YouTube if you are so inclined. And finally, I guess it's worth mentioning that this song put Zager and Evans at the very end of the list, alphabetically, when it comes to artists who have made it to number one. They held that distinction for 36 years, from 1969 until 2005, when uh, David Zoe's song, House Every Weekend made it to the top. Okay, now it is time to answer today's trivia question. Way back when, once upon a time on page two, I asked you who was playing the kazoo on this track from Ringo Starr. Well, 
Well, it's kind of a trick question because the answer is really nobody. If you look at the liner notes on the album, there is a kazoo credit for Paul McCartney. But the fact is, Paul wasn't using a kazoo. He was just imitating one with his mouth. And by the way, if you check out the video from the song, Ringo's love interest is played by Carrie Fisher, who was in fact 16 when the song was first recorded. But of course, that's a coincidence because she was nearly 20 when she made that video. And that's a full lid on another edition of How Good It Is. If you're enjoying the show, please take the time to share it with somebody and maybe even leave a rating somewhere. If you want to get in touch with the show, you can email me at howgoodpodcast at gmail.com or you can follow the show on Twitter or Instagram at howgooditispod. You can also visit, like, and follow the show's Facebook page at facebook.com slash howgooditispod. Or you can check out the show's website, howgooditis.com, where you might find a few extra bits. Thanks, as usual, to Podcast Republic for featuring the show. And next time around, I'm going to do something just a little bit different, but I'm going to do it with the song Ico Ico. Thanks for listening. (laughs) I will talk to you next time. Mm -hmm.